Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I had planned to give Christmas the big swerve this year. That was until I get a call from Abby at 2.30pm on Christmas Eve, informing me that she's changed her mind and I can have the kids after all. Apparently she and Dickhead, her flash new boyfriend, have been invited to some fancy do over in Pahia tonight. Rather than apologising for this last-minute change of plan, she made it sound like she was doing me a favour. I could have made a fuss, reminded her of the judge's instructions about giving 24 hours' notice of any changes in the custody arrangements. I could have told her, I was sorry, but I had a prior engagement and she would have to make other arrangements. It was a perfect opportunity for me to have a go about her and Dickhead. How she must think she's really hit the big time, eh? Hanging out with the other pathetic wankers at the Marco bar. But I didn't say any of that. I just said, sure, whenever. Drop them over any time. I remained pleasant, even when she ordered me to have them washed and dressed and ready to be picked up at precisely 11.45am tomorrow so she and Dickhead Bully Boy, I mean Dion, could drive them to her parents' palatial pad at Opua for the full-on family Christmas extravaganza. After I had hung up the phone, I got out my wallet and checked to make sure there were no hundred-dollar bills lurking in the mouldy inner pockets or stray coins stuck under the holes in the lining. Then I checked the couch, sliding my hands under the seats and down the back. Then I checked the third drawer under the sink, the one with the rubber bands and rusty screws. Finally... In desperation, I crawled around the floor of my van, shining a torch under the seats, rifling through the junk in the glove box and picking through the stinking ashtrays. Nada. Back inside, I carefully counted the humble stack of $10 bills I had stashed between the pages of the Bible that some geriatric Jehovah's Witness had slipped through the chilly gap under my front door about six months ago. Finally, I added to my stash the verdigris-stained $2 coin that I found in the garden when I was mowing the old lady's lawn a few days ago. $67. I had $67 to last me till benefit day. While this would have amply covered the ramen noodles and bottles of cheap red wine that constituted my lifestyle these days, it was woefully inadequate when it came to the challenge of hosting the kids for a halfway decent Christmas. Are you all ready for Christmas? I've been hearing that every time I walk uptown from every irritatingly cheery shopkeeper, even from the hatchet-faced receptionist at Wynn's who assured me they would pay us early so we could get our fabulous Christmas plans underway, which, up till Abby's last-minute call, were simply to get comatose as fast as possible on the red wine specials at New World, and then lounge pie-eyed on the couch watching It's a Wonderful Life with the Curtains Drawn. It's not just since Abby and the kids left that I've hated Christmas. I've always hated it. Ever since I was a kid. Dreading Dad's boots scuffing unsteadily on the welcome mat. The burned dinners. The food flying and stuff smashing all around my head while I tried to concentrate on the TV. But it's not just that. It's everything. The cheesy music. The fake sentiments. 
the major efforts and the spendathons me and Abby could never afford. The best thing about my divorce was that this would be the first year since I was 16 that I didn't have to sit through an interminable day with Abby's rallies, scorching sausages on the barbecue while her father lectured me on the merits of a commerce degree, listening to her mother skiting about their latest flat-screen TV or trip to Samoa and her alcoholic Muppet brother slapping me on the back and asking me for the 50th time, how was the building industry going? Not to mention Abby herself, acting out her see-through version of the perfect mother, which meant coming up and kissing me loudly in front of everyone, even after she and Dickie had already got it on, rushing to pick Ollie up and cuddle him every time he keeled off my deck, and posing on the porch swing like a soap opera starlet next to our scowling daughter Juliet stroking her hair like she was some kind of pet cat. Like most people, Abby had this thing about family, going to extreme efforts every year to pretend that she actually had one, and then dragging me into a sick fantasy to play my part. At least my family didn't pretend they liked each other. Abby's family had never liked me, even when I was just a 16-year-old skatey with an overdeveloped libido and an underdeveloped mission statement. I used to think I was pretty hot stuff, gliding up to their front door on my 101 deck with the demented cat graphic, my hair half black and half white combed straight up from my skull in a startled quiff, cool and loose in my street punk dickies and rubber-soled vans. In those days, Abby did too. We had been an item since we were 14, and the entire town accepted that we would get engaged as soon as we left school and go on to do something big in Auckland. We ourselves had no definite plans beyond me checking out the main ramps and grinds down there and her enrolling at the Cut Above Academy to fulfil her dream of becoming a cosmetologist. Which was just as well, because she got pregnant on her 16th birthday, a few weeks after the school ball, where we had been crowned king and queen. Little did we know then this would be the highlight of our success. Personally... I blame the pregnancy on her folks winning Lotto and abruptly abandoning Abby to finish Year 11 in their grotty old house in town while they shifted to a cliffside pad in Opua with a hot tub and a big fishing boat. This left us with only a rudimentary knowledge of sex education and unlimited access to each other. After we got married, we quickly went from heroes to zeros. Even before Juliet was born, people started muttering behind their hands, saying it would never last. At the reception, Abby's dad sat me down, half pissed on cheap champagne, and gave me a lecture that went something along the lines of, Life is not just a big holiday on wheels. Now you're going to have to grow up and knuckle down and get a job. So I did, and for a while Abby seemed content to wave me off in the mornings with Juliet in her arms and play the housewife, like the women in the audiences of the American chat shows she was addicted to. I parked my skateboard in the garage, where it gathered dust while I took on my new role as breadwinner. And despite barely getting school C, I scored a job as a chippy's labourer on those new developments that were mushrooming around the outskirts of Kerikeri in the late 1990s. You wouldn't believe it to see all the mortgagee sales going on now, but ten years ago, everything looked sweet and rosy. Arthritic old cow cockies were selling up the family farm and gimlet-eyed developers were swarming like locusts to snap up every bit of beer land on the outskirts of town. All they had to do was knock up a dozen spec houses off the same template. Touch of Tuscany meets rural idyll. 
give them a fancy name and plant a few palm trees up the drive. Then they stood back and gloated while dispossessed South Africans, jaded Germans and Poms who had bought the 100% pure edge of the earth bullshit, jetted in to snap them up for top dollar. And some of those dollars eventually filtered down to Abby and me. By then we had Ollie as well, and we had shifted into a new build closer to town, and soon we had a mortgage and a barbecue and a flat screen like everyone else. The skateboard was shrouded with spiderwebs in the garage while Abby and I played our parts in the grown-up game. For the next five years, we were so full-on with the housework and the yard work and the parenting work and the friends and family work that we managed to fool everyone, including ourselves. If I was looking for someone to blame for the demise of my marriage, it would actually not be Dickhead Dion. The finger of suspicion would have to point at the global recession. When it finally washed up on our shores, it was like that big black tsunami powering down everything in its path. Suddenly all the flash developments were going down like the three little pigs straw house and guys were getting laid off left, right and centre while the developers headed for the hills in their big black Land Rover Defenders. It was no surprise when the boss finally came up to me swinging his hammer like a six-gun and gave me the big DCM. The don't come Monday. So suddenly there I was, without a job and no hope of finding one. Not without shifting Abby and the kids and the whole kitten caboodle away from what she now referred to as her support network. I wouldn't say we actually fell out over that. It was more like we just stopped trying. And then one day, despite having made the vow to honour and obey and stick with me through the good times and the bad, I came home to be told she was going to live with her best friend Karen and taking the kids with her. I consider myself a fairly laid-back guy, but it would be fair to say I handled the news about as well as a chicken with its head cut off, especially when the courts ruled I had to stay local to maintain my familial rights and pay a fat percentage of what I earned from then on to compensate for her emotional distress. Then they ordered me to evacuate the family home to ensure the children's continuity. The killer blow came when Abby's best friend Karen turned out to be some dickhead called Dion, with a big, overcompensatory phallic replacement Mitzi with a spoiler and a big, overcompensatory bank account from his overpriced dive Northland business, which, amazingly, unlike everything else around here, had managed to stay afloat. You can imagine the trajectory of my rapid decline after that, to the point where I find myself now, unemployed, alone, and counting my pennies in a pensioner's garden shed that she romantically refers to as a sleep-out. My days are taken up showering at the gym and warming up three-minute noodles on a rusty camp stove, checking out the jobs on Trade Me at the library, and doing odd handyman jobs under the table to keep my van legal. Still, I always manage to keep something aside for the little treats every time the kids come to visit. But $67. I got out my pencil and made a hurried inventory on the back of the envelope from Telecom, threatening me with the consequences of disconnection. Even in its most basic configuration, the inventory was daunting. Tree, decorations, presents, food. A DVD, at least. Not that the kids needed any of it. Not when the next day they would be profiting big time from their mother and their grandparents' guilt around the divorce. 
not to mention dickhead Dion's pathetic attempts to grease his way into their affections. Take Juliet's ninth birthday. A nine-year-old kid, for God's sake, and I toted up. They must have spent at least three grand between them on her iPod, her pink cell phone, her shoes with the inbuilt chase lights, and those tickets to see One Direction in Auckland. God knows what they had planned for Ollie when he turned six. Anyway, I'm sitting at the rustic table and chairs I knocked up about a scrap left over from a fencing job, drafting out my budget, when I hear a muffler fretting in the driveway and the sound of the children's voices, like excited birds, cutting through the deafening roar. Seconds later they come flying into my shed so fast they almost brain themselves on the back wall. I peer around the door to check out what Abby's wearing these days and how she's doing her hair, but the phallic replacement is already churning through the gears on its way back up the road, leaving behind only the acrid stench of high-octane fuel. Hi, kids. It's good to see you too. They hurled their backpacks down on the floor along with the movie-themed sleeping bags that Abby has bought especially for these visits and head for the cupboard I salvaged from a kitchen renovation to check out the snacks. Don't I get a hug? They turn and regard me with Abby impersonation frowns of disapproval. I'm hungry. Where's all the food? I thought we could walk to the shops and you could pick out what you like. Walk? Juliet should be up for an Academy Award for her representation of horror and outrage. Ever since she got introduced to the phallic replacement, she doesn't want to walk anywhere anymore. Next thing she'll be asking to be carried on a litter by oiled Nubian slaves. Yeah, walk. I don't want to tell them that the van's currently out of commission. We can admire everyone's decorations on the way. She pouts in disgust. Boring. She sounds just like Abby. Then she gives me the shrewd eyes. Only if I get to ride your deck. Okay, but only if you stay close to me. Since when was every action a diplomatic negotiation? What's the matter with the TV? Ollie is on his hands and knees punching numbers into my remote control. Nothing. I just decided I didn't need Sky anymore. They're both horrified. So what are we going to watch? Normal TV is crap. I can't argue with them. We could get a DVD. Just one? Juliet registers a flicker of interest. I want to watch Twilight. Ollie throws himself onto the floor in despair and I have to agree with him. No, that's gay. I want to watch Transformers. Juliet pouts. That's dumb. I never noticed how loud they were till I moved into a 9 by 12 plywood box. They've only been here five minutes and already the walls are closing in around me. I check out the battery clock I salvaged from an office renovation a few weeks ago. Come on, kids. Let's go. The shops will be shutting soon. For her age, Juliet's not a bad little rider. I've been teaching her since she could stand upright, and now I watch in pleasure as she skims away from me down the main street, her knees in a half-crouch and her tawny hair streaming out in the sunlight. I can tell she loves the sense of freedom that skating gives you. Which, when you're a kid, is hard to come by, at least in my experience. Sometimes I still go out after dark and ride through my old skatey haunts, burning up the town, streaking past the lit windows of the houses where people are trapped, still playing their parts in the grown-up game. Sometimes I feel so strong and free I think I can even ride the tsunami. I can feel the tsunami closing in right now as we head uptown in the late afternoon sun past the tacky red streamers slung across the main street, the red and green bells and reindeer, 
and candy canes stuck randomly on the dusty storefront windows. Life feels normal, with Juliet making lazy circles around us and Ollie's hot little hand clutched firmly in mine. The only thing that's bothering me is the $67. How can I possibly spin that out to buy everyone presents and food? Not to mention the tree and the DVDs. Why did I promise them DVDs? Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.